The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. title of the message is, is different, Meditating on Dung. Meditating on Dung. You will understand it when it's over. Take your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 14. Hopefully the title will help you remember it. A title to a message is like a handle to a coffee cup. It is not the most important part of it, but it will help you get to it. And so a title is, is important, has its function to try to help you remember it. Uh, past uh, 1 o'clock this afternoon. Meditating on dung. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 14, a passage that I have gone over before, never with this uh, angle. Uh, I hope by the grace of God it will help you and encourage you by the time you walk out of here. I hope when you come to church, see, I don't believe uh, the responsibility of receiving something from God this morning is all on me. I have done what I'm supposed to do. I have sought God's face uh, carefully and for length of time during the week uh, in seeking His will. I actually prepared this a week ago and have meditated on it ever since. And so I've done my part before God. I've done everything I know to do to try to help you this morning. But have you? Have you been asking all week long, God, when I come Sunday, I want something from you. When I come Sunday, give me something. When I come Sunday... Help me not to be thinking about what I'm going to do this afternoon, what I'm going to do Monday, the work I got, the programs I got to program, the problems I got to solve. Help me to be, help me get some from heaven. See, the Bible says if you'll hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. He said you receive now because you ask not. I think if we, if we, as participants in this thing we call preaching, if you would say to God all week long, I've got to have something from heaven today. I think a preacher get up here and stumble and bumble and mess around, and you still get something because God will fulfill it. He'll fulfill your prayer. I answer your prayer. But if you never ask God, don't give me anything, you go away with your answer. Nothing. And about 1220, you say, what was it that preacher talked about? I don't remember a thing about that. What a sad case of affairs. But if you'll come to God and seek him, he'll find, you'll find him. Let's take it reading of this verse 7 to 14. But what things were gained to me? Those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Why? That I may know him, 
and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means. Notice there's no sense of arrogancy. This is the apostle Paul talking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. In Christ Jesus. Father, now come and give us wisdom from heaven. Oh, for a hungry soul here this morning that's seeking Jesus and forgiveness of sin, may they understand what it means to be saved. But the Christian here this morning that has been battered and beaten on every side not to live for God, may today they get it. May today they take upon the personal philosophy of Paul himself uh, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so it's the personal philosophy of God for us. May we accept it and do it and practice it. Help us, O oh God. We come before thee as needy children. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage is Paul's personal philosophy on focusing in life. There are 13 personal pronouns in the form of I, one in the a 14th one in the form of me. Now, I, I took some English. I was an English minor in college, believe it or not. It didn't take, but I at least took the courses and passed them. And um, my English teacher had us, we had to write papers. And I got a lot of red ink on my papers, a lot of red ink. And in, in English grammar, we were discouraged strongly, with a lot of red ink, not to write in the first person or to use the word I and me when writing. I guess no one told the Holy Spirit. That answer did not go over well when I mentioned that to my English teacher. But Paul here lays out, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his personal philosophy. Now, I it's been said Paul may be one of the greatest Christians that ever walked the planet. It's possible. Surely he's one of the most beaten, persecuted, uh, suffering individuals that I've ever known. You can't read much about in the book of Corinthians his sufferings and not have high respect for the brother. Uh, but Fox's Book of Martyrs also goes on to show through the centuries and the Inquisition and the Dark Ages how so many Christians pay the ultimate price for standing for Christ. Now, we've been in a little bubble, an anomaly, historical anomaly here in the United States, where Christianity has not only not been persecuted, but it has been raised up to something honorable and something you would be favorable to do. That is absolutely not historically normal. And what the United States is doing is returning to normal. And we were, we were returning to where Christianity is not looked on as good, not looked on as a blessing, not looked on as favorable. Historically, that's been the way true. I'm, talking about true. I'm not talking about Catholicism. 
I'm not talking about major line denominations. I'm talking about good old-fashioned fundamental people that believe the Word of God was very inspired by the Holy Spirit, and every word is true. And you've just cut out all your mainline denominations. You've just cut out Catholicism. You've just cut out all the mass groups because they don't believe that. And I'm not making it up. You can research it. Google it. Paul lays out his personal philosophy. I want to end well, don't you? I don't want to live this whole life. I only got, you know, I only got one shot here. You only got one shot here. I don't, I don't want to come to the end of life and say, oh, no, I messed up. I don't want to have regrets. I don't want to go, oh, man, I fumbled the ball. I don't want to mess up. And by the way, I don't have to mess up. And you don't have to fumble the ball. And you don't have to fail and shame the name of Jesus Christ. You don't have to. God has given us all the tools that we need to win the game by the grace of God. There's no excuse for failing. We can win. We've been given everything to win. The power of God himself has invested us with the Holy Spirit. The philosophy here will help you to end a winner by the grace of God, not shaming the name of Jesus. We can end like Peter. We can end like Paul. We can end like Mary. Peter, Paul, and Mary. But I'm talking about the biblical Peter, Paul, and Mary. You hippies. I don't want to end like them other three. But I'll tell you what. We can end like, well, you, don't, you don't have to fail. I know people fail. Well, whose fault was it? God's? Was it the Bible's fault? It was their fault. They stepped away from the Bible injunctions. They lost the fear of God. And they failed. Don't lose those things. This philosophy here will help you, and as it did Paul, he says three times in the first two verses, count. I looked the word up. It means to have a rule over. I count these things. Look at those verses. I count these things. I have a rule over. I, I call it this way. I use this expression. I drive a stake down on this. One time teaching chapel, I took the kids outside. I had a stake and a sledgehammer. And I put the stake on the ground, and I, I started, got it started, and I took the sledgehammer and started driving it and said, I will not. Was, I forgot for specific, specifically the illustration, but I, I will not sin, I will not sin, I will not, you know, with something. And, and brother, you can't mamby-pamby around the Christian life. You're going to be a victim looking for some place to have to. You and I need to drive a stake down. That's what Paul says. Paul says, look, I've driven a stake down in life. I've decided you will have to shoot me to stop me. In this area. That's what he meant there when he says, I count. The gain of this world. I count, but loss. The devil comes by your house over and over again if you want to live for Jesus, and he tries to tempt you off of it. He tries to show that this world's the better 
way to go. That investing in the things of now and now is better invest than investing in the things of the future, the unseen things of the future, the invisible. He's trying to tell you the visible things are better than the invisible things. It's a lie. You plan on ending well, succeeding, living for Jesus, and being happy in your life's outcome. You better take heed to the words that we're going to, that Paul spoke here in Philippians chapter three, seven through fourteen. First of all, count everything in this world that it has to offer as gain for you. Count it to as dung in comparison to Christ. Drive it deep. I think Paul used the word dung. Because he knew the mental picture it would form. People usually do not meditate or give much time to dung. They don't spend a lot of time thinking about dung. Why? Because dung is negative, non-productive waste material. Dung is refuse, repelling, unpleasant. Paul counted the loss of all his potential gain in this world as something repelling, something of refuse, something that was unpleasant to him. Dung is not something you really spend a lot of time meditating on. The potential gain of the world, he put up against the gain of winning Christ. Do you do that? When one is set up beside the other, there is no comparison, really. Think about it. Let's just put this as an illustration in your mind. Think with me. You have an imagination? Yeah, you do. Some of you imagine you're not old. Never mind. I love to pick on old people. I use one. You gain a prestigious position, let's say, you're young, you go after the, into the business world, you gain the prestigious position you want to gain in a corporation, maybe like IBM, Microsoft, Ruger, Smith & Wesson, or Apple. You rise to the top spot. You get to CEO, Chief Executive Officer. Most, most people in America recognize your name. They're excited to meet you. Uh, even to see you, they get excited. They clamor for your attention they respectfully greet you. Ooh, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so. Yes, sir, yes, ma'am. They wait on you in hope possibly even to get around you and to just be around you because you are important in this world. You're a big shot among the big shots. Then let's think of the person who gives his life to Christ and puts Jesus as the ultimate goal of his life and obeying the Bible. In most places, when you reveal that, you're despised by the vast majority. People think you've actually wasted your potential when you tell them you're serving Jesus. Uh, they say, what in the world are you doing giving all of that money away? Shame on you. What are you doing supporting all those missionaries? Shame on you. You're ruining the culture of those poor folks you go over to. What are you going to church so much for? Missing all those nice weekends at the club and the beach and playing with your family, fishing or golfing or doing whatever. 
just anything but going to church, what a sad waste it is. That's what the world generally thinks of people that are serious about living for God. But then you die. And by the way, you will die. Stand before Jesus Christ, who gave everything for you to save your soul. Let's just say you were saved, but you refused to live for Jesus and sought the world. And you missed what God had planned for you, but you gained what the world had for you. What now? What matters now when you stand before Jesus? A hundred years from this morning, what will matter? What really will matter? 100 years. You got imagination? 100 years from today. I'm going to assume that there won't be anybody alive in this room 100 years from today. If you are alive, you're going to be a pitiful shape. I mean, you're going to look pitiful. You're going to walk pitiful. You're going to, you're going to talk pitiful if you have your mind at all. But I can safely say just 100 years from today, what's going to matter in your life? That's what Paul drove the stake down on. He compared the eternal invisible with the temporary visible. That's what he was comparing. And by the way, every one of us that claim the name of Christ got to do that same comparison. What counts in your life in the end of it? Paul saw it clearly. And in seeing this comparison, he made a decision and he counted all things that this world had to give him, but loss for the excellency of Christ Jesus to win Christ, as it were. He says, I count all of those things that the world offers me as dung. By the way, why did he do that? Well, I'll tell you why. Number one, people don't cry over losing dung. They don't cry or they don't have regret over giving up dung. They do not reminisce fondly of the dung they lost. They don't pine away at what could have been with the dung. But I'll guarantee you one thing. I mean, Paul, when he said, I count the gain of this world, and by the way, he had a lot of potential in this world. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, probably photographic memory, possibly had the Old Testament memorized. He was going places in this old world. He was going to have wealth at the end of his life. He was going to have prestige at the end of his life. People would bow to him and, 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 and want to be around him like that CEO I mentioned. Oh, it would have been phenomenal with Paul. He had all of that. <clears throat> he said, I count it like dumb. Paul did not spend his time reminiscing of what things could have been. He didn't. Because people don't do that if they count it as dumb. See, a lot of people, a lot of problem with Christians is they count the loss of this world as, oh, I gave up so much for Jesus. And they think about it and meditate about it. And they, oh, what I could have been. By the way, I've had to do that, and anybody that served Christ has had to do that. You've had to decide to give up what was potential in this world. All I can say is 100 years from now, the Christian that gives up this world's stuff and treats it as dung in comparison to winning Christ 
will be happy. We'll be happy. Nothing you've ever given for Jesus you'll regret. Nothing you've ever done for Jesus Christ you're ever going to regret. No amount of time you spend hearing preaching you'll ever regret. No amount of missionaries that you've gotten behind and helped give the gospel out you'll ever regret. No amount of time you spent in front of your Bible reading it to try to understand the mind of God you'll ever regret. No, a hundred years from now you're not going to regret it. You're going to be thrilled. In fact, the only regret you're going to have is the time you didn't. And by the way, there's been too many that have half-heartedly tried to serve God with one foot in the world and one foot in God's, God's camp. My mother used to tell me constantly, son, you've got to decide which side of the fence you're going to be on. She used to say, you've got to decide where you're going to be. You're going to be over on this side of the fence with God, or you're going to try to straddle the fence. She said, you try to straddle the fence, you don't get either one. You lose both. Makes sense, right? She constantly would beat on me on that. But it was the Bible. Once you're free from the pull of this world, and you've said, God, I count the gain of this world is done. Now, it's possible that God wants you to be a CEO. But it's not first. It's possible that God wants to bless you financially, but it's not first. It's possible that God wants you to start some business that gets international, but it's not first. See, the issue is which is first. God raises people up to do all kinds of things he wants them to do, and he uses them to be a witness. I read the book, God Owns My Business. A man by the name of Anderson. A man invented a way to get the silver out of x-rays and Became a multimillionaire, and he gave his business to God, and he gave more of it, more of it. Eventually, he was getting a paycheck from the business that he had given to God. Now, I'm going to tell you, 100 years from that man's birth, he'll be happy he did all of that. Oh, he could have, he could have poured that money on himself and lavished himself and, and made himself live it, and he could have had a home in, let me say, let me say this, a home in St. Lucia. He could have had a home in St. Thomas. He could have had a home in southern Paris. He could have had a home in um, South Africa. He could have had a home in China. No, I guess he couldn't have. He'd had a home in Japan. You know what I'm saying. He could have his own private leader jet and flying around and just visit. You know what? Let's go to lunch at, let's go to lunch in LA this afternoon. But he decided he was going to let God own his business. You know what? With that old brother, God was first. It was clear. Now, you can rejoice if you do, if, if, if you take this passage and you do, and you have to, whether you like it or not, everybody comes to this decision. There's not a soul that chooses Jesus as their Savior that doesn't eventually have to make this decision. Who's first in your life? Who's number one? Jesus said, seek you first, kingdom of God. All is right, and, and everything else will be added to you. Why? He saw beyond the grave. So, let's say you choose that. You say, bro, Jesus is number one. I'll do what he wants me to do, go where he wants me to go, be what he wants me to be, and you mean it. You've driven the stake down. You're free. You're free. The rest of the passage 
The rest of the passage from verse 9 to 14 are the results of treating the gain of the world has to offer to you as dumb. Let's look at the results. Verse 9. You can rejoice that you stand in the righteousness that's not your own. That's verse 9. And being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but through faith of Christ and the righteousness which is of God by faith. Number two, you can become more and more intimate with the person of Jesus Christ if he's number one, that's in verse 10, that I may know him. That's experiential knowledge. That is, that is intimately knowing back and forth him and you, him and you. Why? He's number one. If you're free because you've put him number one in your life, he will come to you and abide with you and you with him. And the Father will honor you because you honor the Son. All of that goes along. Number three, you can rest in your coming resurrection. Verse 11, if by any means I may attend to the resurrection of the dead. Paul says the resurrection's coming, brother and sister. And if I put Christ number one, that's going to be a glorious day I look forward to. If you put the world first, you'll not look forward to the resurrection. No, no. Fourthly, you can apprehend Christ's call in your life. Verse 12. In other words, I'm apprehended of Christ. God has a purpose for me. I've given everything to him. My very purpose for living is to serve him and to please him. And whatever he tells me to do, I'm apprehended by that call, and I will do it. You can do that. Next, in verse 13, you stop obsessing over past failures. Oh, my, is this common. Stop allowing them to sap your strength of the present. The more you obsess over the failures of the past, the more it saps and influences the present. Make sense to you? Every one of you that have failed in here, can you go back and undo it? Have you tried to make it right with everybody you, you can make it right with? Okay, you did that. What else can you do? That's what Paul means when he says forgetting those things which are behind negatively allowing them to influence my future, my present, is wrong. I've done some horrible things as a young man, and then there are bad things, but I don't use them except to be push me on for Christ. I sure don't lay in bed with guilt. A lot of you here this morning are in, in guilt day in, day out, day in, day out, and you refuse to accept the forgiveness of Christ. Accept the forgiveness of Christ. Ashamed of it? Absolutely. Paul was ashamed of his past. Man. But he pressed on. He pressed on. He got to do that because Christ was number one. And in, and in the last thing, you can run the race set before you, verse 14. I press for the mark. See, if you are obsessing about the past, you're not living in the present, and you're not going to win the future. That makes sense to you? If you keep being in the past... Some, some women in this room, no doubt, have been sexually abused as a child. One out of four women statistically had some serious sexual abuse as a child. That's a sad case of affairs. But it's true, probably. I've met too many already. Well, let's say you were. Go to God. Ask Him to forgive the one. Ask Him to forgive anything that you may attribute to yourself. Ask God, forgive me. And then ask for, then forgive the perpetrator. Well, he don't, he don't want forgiveness. I know, 
but forgive him so that you can let it go. And he quits influencing you and changing your marriage and influencing your life. Let it go. Forget those things which you bind. Now you know you need God's help to do that. This isn't a thing of the flesh. He's not talking about the flesh here. He's talking about under the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. But I'll tell you what, if you don't let it go, you never can press for the mark of the prize because you're going to be crippled. And nothing's been done to you in the past. God will not, can, cannot, and will not use for the future for His glory and His good. If you will forgive everybody involved. Doesn't justify their action? Absolutely not. God will take care of that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I'll repay. You don't have to take vengeance. God will do that. But let it go. Let it go. Paul had all kinds of, ooh, Paul had a whole list of people he could have hated. People that betrayed him, people that beat him, people that turned him in, people that had him his, his, his property confiscated, people that, that disowned him. His family, I believe, disowned him. He, he, he had a horrible uh, way to go in a lot of that, and yet he was not a bitter man. You can read through Paul. He's not a bitter man at all. You know why? The light of the glory of Christ Jesus shone upon him. And it lit, he, 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 was like, he was like Moses coming down from the mountain for 40 years. And he, his face, he had so much God in him that the devil didn't have any room. That's where you got to go. Don't let the devil have the room. Don't give place to the devil. Don't let him have it. Don't let him take your joy. You give your joy away. Don't let it, don't let it, don't give it away. Well, brother, it's on my mind. It's on my mind. Well, here's a way to get it off your mind. Memorize this book. Put these words as, as meditate. Remember, you don't meditate on dung. Nobody does. And Paul said, I'm not spending my time. It's not worth meditating on. It's not worth giving my time on. But I'm going to meditate on Jesus Christ, and he is worth meditating on. And I'm going to tell you the, the bad thoughts that the devil comes around with me. I go to this Bible and start, if I, if I can't remember it, I quote it by reading it. And you quote a few of those verses. This morning I got up early, quoted verses to God, His Word. What, what better? What better? Hey, dads, every dad out here understands this. You teach your son. You're not quite there yet. But you teach your daughter. You teach your son. You teach him principles of life. You teach him, teach him, teach him, teach him, teach him. And one day they come to you and quote what you told them years ago. Hey, hey, they got something. God, he's teaching, 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 teaching. What better way to go to God and say, hey, you said something to me. I really like it. I press for the mark. There's no better way to pray than just God's word. Talk back to him. Blessed is the man who walketh, who standeth, sitteth, walketh not in the constant ungodly. It is the light is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, who bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Why? Because God, God's in it. God's in it. Well, the ungodly are not so. 
They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. The ungodly shall not stand in judgment nor sinner in the day of the day he's judged. But see, where will you be? You're one or the other. If you're a fence rider, you're not happy in either world, and you're one of the most miserable creatures on the planet. But Jesus says it this way, I'd rather have you be hot or cold. I'd rather have you on my side of the fence or on the other side of the fence, but don't try to get up on this. Don't try, don't try to play Christian and live in the world. He said, that group of people makes me sick. I want to puke. That's just in the Greek. I'm going to spew out of my mouth. Don't be that group. Be the group that says, I'm hot. I don't want to be the cold group either, but I'm hot, man. I want to be hot for God. I want to be all over it. I try to assure my wife on a regular basis that I'm for her. I think that lacks. I think marriages lack on that. I think husbands, sometimes we don't tell our wives enough that we're for them. I don't think we get, tell them, look, I'm with you, girl. I'm with you when you get old and wrinkly. I'm with you when you have hot flashes every 10 minutes. I'm with you when you get up five times a night. I'm with you when the covers are on and the covers are off. I'm with you when you get temperamental. I'm with you when you get grouchy. I'm with you when we can't have sex anymore. Oh. You know what? I've told God the same with you. Lord, I want to be with you when I'm young. I want to be with you when I'm middle age. I want to be with you when I get old. I want to be with you when the times are good. I want to be with you when the times are bad. I'm with you if I'm rich. I'm with you when I'm poor. I'm with you when I'm cold. I'm with you when I'm hot. I'm with you in every kind of shape, every kind of condition. Lord, I'm just with you. Paul says, I press. The, the, the picture on that is I used to run the 440. And in the 440, sometimes you'd be right beside somebody and you dare not look at them. And you pressed everything you could because the first part of your body that could cross the line won the race. That's what he says here. I'm pressing for the mark of the high call. The prize. God help us today to see it. Help us not, and we know, Father, some of these folks are meditating on dung. They're meditating on the world. They're meditating on the things they may have even given up. Sadly, and, in, and as an insult to you, but Father, help us not to do that. Help us to, uh, to be able to assimilate the philosophy of the Holy Spirit as he gave it to Paul. That we would count the loss of all things as dumb. And that we'd move on. We'd move on to the resurrection. We'd move on to living for God. We'd move on to make him number one. And every day we get up, we drive that stake back in the ground. God help us. You said few be there that find it. May this morning there be a few that find it. Help us. Guide and direct us. If there be one here without Christ, you know not what it means to be saved, born again, but you've heard the terms, but you're not, you know you just don't know Christ as your Savior. You don't have assurance that we're here to help you. The invitation time in a moment. Why don't you come forward? Let us talk to you. Pray with you in the back, privacy of room one to one. We're here for you. Whatever your need is, we're here for you. You want to join, become a voting member of Gospel Baptist, need to get baptized. If I hadn't been baptized, I'd be baptized. Why don't you come forward and say, I want to get baptized.
You make a decision for Jesus. Drive the stake down. Don't matter how old you are. Today is the day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. You come do business with God. Brother, you come. Lead. There came a sound.